bad timing on some uh, basil bean water, and the dogs really enjoy the water being strewn <laughs> everywhere. So they just they just even bark the dogs, at Even the dogs are food critics. Even the dogs, they're just like, oh, water the basil, water the basil. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Dig In, the podcast that lives at the intersection of hospitality and entrepreneurship. Here we will explore the stories of the owners, operators, and curators of America's hottest hospitality concepts, sharing a deeper look at the people delivering excellence from their mind's eye to your taste buds. I'm your host, Zach Woods, and I'm ready to dig in. folks. Thanks for tuning in again. Um, before we dive into this next week's episode, um, I just wanted to take a minute as, uh, as per tradition. Um, one, thanking Greg Ryan and Daisy Ryan from Bells for being a part of uh, the Dig In family. Um, they really gave so much uh, good intel in this interview and I'm excited to kind of give you, I, I think, a little bit more of the real take um, uh, of what it's like to found a restaurant. And, and quite frankly, I think, uh, given Greg and Daisy's respective history in the, in the hospitality industry, both of whom, uh, were formerly employed with the Thomas Keller group, uh, at Per Se in New York and, um, you know, went on to open a variety of restaurants and, and hotels in LA, Austin, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it just goes to show that this is a really, really, labor of love. Um, do not get into the restaurant business if you're not really convinced that you love the restaurant business. Um, but I, I think that that message really does come through loud and clear uh, when you hear Greg kind of uh, get into the family that he's building both within and outside of the, the restaurant, actually moving closer to Daisy's family and, uh, and having a son of their own who's now uh, a little more than two years old. So um, uh, also, just a, a very brief asterisk on this particular episode's audio. Um, I have to, I have to say, I know that the audio quality as a whole is not the optimal, not a ten out of ten. But in this particular episode, um, we recorded via Zoom for the first time. I had never done a remote episode before, uh, and I do think that the audio quality suffered just a touch. Um, nonetheless, I think the story is totally worth telling. Um, and it's not uh, insufferable uh, or unbearable to any extent. Uh, however, as a type A extraordinaire and uh, super perfectionist, I'm not pleased with uh, with the level of audio that we got. Um, but I hope that this story really pulls through and that you guys can uh, pick up some great tips on potential destinations if you're flying into LA and want to go for an awesome trip uh, two hours north to Bell's Los Alamos. Um, without further ado, I'll kick it over to the show. Thanks. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Dig In. I'm your host, Zachary Woods, and today I'm with the lightning bolt. That is Greg Ryan from Bells in Los Alamos, California. Uh, Greg, hey, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Hanging, 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 hanging. Um, we, we're we're currently doing uh, doing Dig In's first remote show, which is uh, which is exciting for me. A little nerve wracking, if I must say. Um, I, I'm kind of looking at myself here on the camera, which of course the people listening in won't see. But it's it's like kind of meta to like look at yourself. It could be worse. There could be worse things I have to look at the whole time. So. <laughs> I, I'm not, I, I, to, to be honest, I have some notes up on my screen, so I can't actually see myself, which I think oh, okay. you're unfortunately looking at me. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's not too bad. You look great. You look great today. It's good. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Um, so, you know, Greg, the, the way we like to kick this off is with a segment called Open for Business. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious that you and Daisy, um, your, your co-conspirator co and partner in crime at, uh, at Bells have had a storied career. We're going to get into that. We're going to reflect back on your time, literally from the, all the coasts of the United States, as well as the most middle point of the United States in Austin. 
Um, but I'd really love to dive into the current concept, the current project with Bells in Los Alamos and get a little bit of background on, uh, you know, tell me about opening Bells. Tell me about the, the connection to France that you see there. And uh, just in your own words, like talk to me about the, the opening concept, what brought you to the concept of Bells and how have things been going the last uh, year and a half since opening? You really tried to think about what was maybe necessarily missing from the culinary scene in the Valley. Uh, when we always going back there, you're in the you're in wine country, the landscape, the kind of demographic of who was out there, which were winemakers, people who were in the industry, people in hospitality, but you also had um, people who were working and living in agriculture. It reminded us of Beaujolais, it reminded us of Lyon, it reminded us of, of areas that were in France, wine country-wise. And we felt that a bistro, which is value-driven, as well as uh, an, uh, a type of cuisine where people can have like a glass of wine and a plate and be satisfied and not ne necessarily make it feel like it is um, something, you know, a, a, a big production. And we just kind of went with it. And uh, we're, we tried to make it seem as if, if it didn't work out, we were going to try and be flexible with and, and pivot into different cuisine if need be. But in the last year and a half, it's been something that has really thrived and we've gotten a really nice reaction from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 100% the having having dined with you guys a, a couple a couple of weeks back, almost, you know, maybe nearing a month now, I, I think for me, you know, you're, it's such an interesting, and I, I don't know if it was necessarily intentional, but, you know, it, it's this interesting dichotomy, right? When I, I walk through the doors, you know, and there's, there's kind of cacti all around and the setting is very um, New Mexico, uh, even in the town. And then you walk in the door and you read the menu and you're like, oh, wait, like, okay, the French Cuban, this sounds interesting. Um, yeah. The, the, the oysters, the, the caviar, I mean, the whole night. And it totally, I think the word that comes to mind is like freshness. And I don't mean freshness in like the food was fresh. Like obviously the food was fresh and it's super delicious, but freshness in like the way a, a cool breeze is fresh. Like you walk in the door and then somehow the, the cuisine and even the layout of the restaurant, like the, the open kitchen concept, it just has this kind of coolness about it. Um, both cool in the cool breeze <laughs> sense and cool in the you and Daisy are just really cool sense. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so thinking about kind of two parts of that menu, we really stick to like what we call like bistro classics. So we'll do escargot, we'll do steak tartare, mole frites, steak frites. We have a bistro salad, certain items that we probably will not change that often that are just kind of pillars of the of the menu. And then we also really try and take advantage of us being in a really um, amazing place for, for vegetables, for produce. So there, everything else is kind of this, not take, but it's like, it's like California cuisine. So you're doing, you know, we are able to go to the farm stand every morning and pick up lettuce, vegetables, whatever's kind of working that day. And we'll start to make new items on a daily basis kind of to help support or kind of help play off those other bistro items. So we, we call it French California cuisine, I guess. Um, and it seems to, and, and I appreciate it. We're, we definitely are trying to make the, the restaurant itself have a kind of relaxed, warm feeling about it. And uh, I guess that's the, that's the breeziness, that's the coolness. Yeah, that, that's the, or, or breezy, you know, maybe that's a new hashtag we can get to trend for, uh, for, for Bells uh, in, the, in the coming weeks. So you, you kind of alluded to, and I, as I said, like these hopefully will kind of cap or dovetail nicely with one another, which is, you know, some of the staple menu items. I, I, you know, you can go to, to Bell's Los Alamos' website and you can even see the written sort of staple menu. 
But touching on you know what's what's so called fresh from the oven, um, what's a, what's a new thing that diners or drinkers can have that maybe wasn't on the menu two months ago when I rolled through? Is there is there a vegetable that has recently hit peak season and you're like, oh my gosh, Daisy's just whipping out the cream yes. stuff with this? Tell me tell me a little bit about that dish and uh, and how you. Well, I'll be honest with you. The menu changes pretty much every day, uh, every day that we're open in some form or fashion. So it, it's it's extremely fresh all the time. Uh, but the I guess the, right now it's like it's like tomato. It's like the beginning of tomato season for us out here. So we have a couple of items. We have a new like we'll do a BLT for the next probably month, um, which is pretty standard. We're, we always try and keep a lot of those sandwiches like that pretty classic. So it's Hobshore bacon. We have garlic aioli. Uh, we have really like crisp like iceberg lettuce and then these early girl tomatoes that we get from a farm stand or the farmer um chris and joanna finley uh that same tomato is then also used at night with a pork chop that we've been doing recently which is a pork chop au poivre so we take a 12 ounce bone-in pork chop uh we marinate it we put a ton of uh black pepper and spices on the chop itself uh, that then goes into the salamander and then the oven, but then that's served with what is known as a tomato gravy, which essentially is uh, a tomatoes that have been stewed down and emulsified and clarified. So it's this really clean, very bright tomato puree uh, and then a, and a little bit of sauerkraut. So tomatoes have been really kind of what has spoken the most to everybody currently, and I'm sure there'll probably be a, a tomato salad coming coming our way pretty soon but that's uh maybe the good or bad of it she doesn't tell me uh until two minutes before we open about what's gonna happen. <laughs> i thought that was gonna be that was gonna be different in our uh in our professional lives when we work together uh again we're there oh like she's gonna tell we're gonna be in a car ride we're gonna you're gonna tell me all these things on the menu and then she doesn't tell me anything and i still scramble to get the menu printed it's fun <laughs> she she's she's doing her very best to keep you on your toes at all times, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So so on the uh, on the personal note, and this is you know definitely something that you know we we have a unique opportunity, I think, with with you and Daisy specifically. I mean, husband wife dynamo duo, right? You guys have been together and have gone through a lot of things, which again, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about some of those different stages of the journey in, in, in a couple of minutes. But, you know, tell me about where you two met. Uh, did, did she also keep you on your toes at the beginning by like throwing hot items at your face? Or what, how did, uh, how did the, this spark and, you know, what, what role did the hospitality profession play in you two coming together? Is that horn honking, Zach? Yeah. Uh, I think that's your horn. I, I no, that is, that is, no, that is me. I, you can hear it though. Give me one second, okay? Yeah, Okay. Sorry. Uh, part of our uh, way to entertain our son sometimes is to just put him in the car and he just likes to sit in the car and honk the horn. Uh, so this kid's a, this if, like, if we're like out, like Daisy's like outside right now, like working on stuff and he just, just like, oh, put him in the car, close the door and he'll just sit there all day and honk the horn all day. Um, not, not ideal currently while trying to do some audio work. And uh, yeah, so there it is. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Oh, so how did we uh, how did we meet? So, uh, Liz and I met in 2008. We both were living in New York at the time, uh, and uh, I started uh, at Per Se, which is Thomas Keller's three star Michelin restaurant uh, in the Time Warner building, and uh, that was in October of uh, 2008. And Daisy had started there 
just previous to me in, in August of 2008. Uh, so we both were working uh, as kitchen servers uh, in the dining room. And um, we spent, like pretty much everybody there, like you spent most of your time, either professionally or personally, all with each other. It's a very tight-knit group. And um, as it goes, you start to kind of get, uh, you know, build a relationship with each other, both professionally and, and uh, ended up being uh, personally. And so we've been together ever since. And um, I, I stayed on at Per Se for another six years. And Daisy then moved over to Gramercy Tavern and then worked, worked at Brooklyn Fair. And then we ended up moving on uh, to, uh, to Los Angeles. And that becomes a whole other part of the story but yeah we met um not there isn't like a ton of like fanfare in terms of we just all we we kind of connected on the fact that both sets of our parents uh kind of own their own business both of our fathers are kind of crazy and married to really lovely mothers <laughs> who are saints uh and uh you know now have like ptsd of uh of it and and um, um you you kind of you, it's you just start to kind of build these bonds with each other uh, professionally. And as you see, a lot of times that ends up happening and ends up building into something that's, that's more, uh, that's more personal in that sense. Yeah. And, and I, I think, and this is a, a pretty unique window, you know, that you, we kind of had this dialogue going for, you know, around a month, like, like I yeah. mentioned earlier. And it's, I, I think this notion of, deep deep personal uh, relationships you know obviously the, the wife family thing being the, the penultimate or the ultimate of those relationships but you uh, you actually had the chance uh, a couple of weeks back to come back to per se the Thomas Keller restaurant here in New York um, alongside Daisy and they actually hosted an event where it was like a reunion tour in a way which was totally like just bonkers I mean anybody that Anybody that somebody from the Per Se Network was there, I mean, tell me a little bit about that, you know, what was that experience like getting back with your, I, I, you know, your homies, you're back with your friends, you're, you're hanging out, you're front of housing, you're, you see like five people you maybe haven't seen in a couple of years, like back where you all met, they had to be totally nostalgic. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was really great to be back there and to see friends and people that you worked with side by side in a certain degree is kind of like a line employee when you were either a kitchen server or you were, uh, you know, a CDP or a Comey there. And now you got a chance to either work with them who are still within the group and are chef de cuisines and director of operations, all these people that, you know, used to stay out too late with. And now we're, everyone, has kids. everyone has kids and everyone's like, super professional about what they do not with the, not to say they weren't before but they're just like everyone's a little bit older a little bit more mature um i have people like julia sullivan of henrietta red out of nashville and eduardo jordan who we cooked with who has a couple of restaurants in seattle and uh, milton abel who has a bakery in copenhagen uh it it felt like it uh, i'm not really one for like high school reunions or college reunions for that matter but i feel like that's what it must be for some people like to go back somewhere and everyone kind of gets back into their groove like right away like we hadn't seen each other in in a decade really uh everyone together and it just kind of all fell back into place very quickly and yeah i mean it was it was three nights uh we cooked for about 40 people every night um you had to do a, a canapé and one of the courses of a five-course menu. And Thomas Chef Keller was there uh, every night. And it was great to kind of reconnect with him and for him to be interested in what everyone was doing now that they've all left that sacred space. And it was just fun to be back. It was fun to be back for sure. And it's, it's, so, you know, interestingly, the, you mentioned the high school reunion. I mean, if, if the food isn't better at this type of reunion, we have a major freaking problem. <laughs> it was, no, it was, it was good. It was good. But, let's get the Chick-fil-A here, guys. We've got to get the Chick-fil-A. It's our 20th. <laughs> that is hilarious. No, it's, I, it's so, it's so cool. It, Daisy, Daisy has an interesting quote that was written up, um, you know, about a year ago that, and of course, like she's reflecting back on a number of years prior where she said that 
leaving leaving per se is like a shock to the system, right? Where where you know you just you're probably jolted from this environment where beyond perfection is actually the goal, and perfection is sort of like the the expectation. Um, but you could have done better than perfect, um, and I, I think that's that's super interesting. But there was a there was a quote in there that I thought would, would be kind of a fun little thing like pivoting off this, how it was a jolt to your system. I think you may have said that uh, working at per se or working in that environment, sort of the haute couture of, of fine dining, it's, it, it's the closest that we'll ever get to athletics. And I, I had this fun little idea of like, if cooking were akin to any sport, what sport would that be? Like what, what would be the Olympic sport that most mimics cooking in a restaurant like a per se? Um, I, I would probably say soccer would probably be the most, would be what I would think about the most um, because there's a couple things. It's got to be kind of an, an event that takes a certain amount of time and is about someone's like mental preparation as well as like their ability to remain consistent and focused which is when we all played soccer growing up like that was always the qualities that I always found so at cooking or even working in the dining room per se like there's this there's this energy that has you have to kind of get up you don't have to get up for a service but like there every night was an event whether you meant for it to be or not it just you knew that there were people who were coming in who could have been saving for a whole year to come eat there people who had high, high expectations. So you had to kind of meet that level of energy the same way you would getting ready for a 90 minute soccer game, you know, and as you are going through it the same way with cooking, like you have to not have too many highs or too many lows. You got to like keep going. You have to be consistent. You have to make sure you hit your spots. You got to make sure that you don't try and go outside of the area that you were kind of meant to be playing in a little bit, because once you do that, then all the rest of the system starts to fall apart a little bit. And when you're done, you're extremely, you're mentally exhausted. Uh, you are physically exhausted. Uh, and you also know much like the, you know, the uh, European soccer league at this point, like you never stops. Like you always, like the next day it goes again. You're just going, you're going. You're just going. It's just like, I feel like, like uh, the premier league just, ended and now it's back going it's going again right now and you're just like what the hell like it just uh it's it, it is about consistency and longevity is i would say the, the the what reminds me in the most um of it and the other part of it also is it, it there's an athletic part to it because the camaraderie that you have with each other is this mix of you're competitive with each other because you all are trying to work at this at your peak level. And so you have this, you're competitive. Like you want to, you want to do better than the next person, but that, that competitive also brings a group idea and a group camaraderie that then increases or uh, the, the level of, of skill just gets better and better. So the same way that you play soccer, or, you know, you're playing like five on five, three on three basketball, like the better the other two people you're playing with, the, the better they are, the more you're going to try and get to that level. And that's what that, that's what that restaurant can be. Uh, that's what high dining restaurants and, and, and restaurants that are very serious about what they do. It, it helps, right? Like you, you, you have to raise your game. You have to raise your game. There's such a, you know, so one for a punchline and then the second comment for, uh, for just my own personal take, which is that the punchline is I really, really hope that we're more like the women's soccer team in the U.S. or we're just strictly staying in the EuroLeague because hopefully it's like EuroLeague soccer or women's national team in U.S. soccer and way yeah. less. Uh, and and they left, like, the, like, the DC uh, soccer club for sure. And, but the second one is, and you know, this is this is just my own personal thing. I mean, this is why I, I do this podcast. To be honest, is because, and I, I clearly couldn't have scripted that you gave the answer. But you know, everyone refers to soccer. Most people refer to soccer as what, right? The beautiful game. And yeah. if if anybody, I dare anyone that like cares about food 
to watch Chef's Table and to not just be enthralled with the beauty of this synchronated or synchronized, like totally living, breathing organism that's like creating things constantly, day in, day out, hour in, hour out. Um, and and I think the, the last part, and this is this is certainly true, you know, for any restaurant. I think bells, all the bells per se, or, or even you know something as kind of normal or homely as a, a Waffle House or an IHOP is in soccer. You're only as strong as your weakest link, uh, and I think that really is a, a very real kind of. It's a similar type of metaphor to the cooking environment because guess what? If if you have a superstar chef but your expo stinks, or or you know your your front of house manager is a real asshole, uh, guess what? Like all the things that are happening in the back really are tainted so much by that. So I think you know the soccer element is so apropos uh, and, and definitely better than the basketball because I don't want people dunking on me in a, in a dining environment. So I think the, the soccer Sometimes they be, do though. Sometimes they do. And that's okay. Yeah, you might get dunked on. I mean, yeah. maybe, like, you might, maybe that could be a new fresh out of the oven item like the dunked on dessert special. Daisy comes out and just slams you with some kind of soft pillowy cake of some sort. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, so, you know, coming coming back to this idea of, you know, you had, you, you met Daisy, obviously, in New York. Uh, you alluded earlier to coming back from New York and, and being in L.A. And, and doing some things there. You've been all over the place from Oregon, where I think you, you started with your schooling, to New York, where obviously you did per se and a couple of other restaurants. You've been to LA, you've done hotels, you left LA and you went to Austin, Texas, where you uh, helped, uh, helped lead front of house with general management with a, a really big time hospitality group down there that, that I think is doing really amazing things from all that I've learned and read. Uh, excitedly, I'm going down to Austin in a couple of weeks and we'll actually be checking out an McGuire Morgan restaurant, which is exciting. So maybe I'll, uh, I'll try to link up with you and, and get a good reco on the inside, or maybe we'll share one kind of toward the end of the experience. But I want to I hit a, a lightning round and given all of those places, Oregon, New York, California, Texas, um, we're going to go, we're going to go, you've moved a lot. What's the best part of the dining scene in each of those four places? Answers are 10 seconds or less. Um, and I, just to kind of give people a flavor for, you know, how, how do they vary? How are they similar? Um, and let's start with Oregon. Obviously, I don't know if you've cooked there, but you've definitely eaten there. Um, what's the best part of the Oregon dining scene? Man, uh, best part of Oregon dining is, uh, I'm sorry, it's been a long time since I've lived or spent any time in Oregon. Um, I would say that it, it's not necessarily the dining, it's, it's still the best coffee. It's still the best coffee. The, the coffee, okay. Best, <laughs> best, part about, best part about New York dining scene. Gramercy Tavern. Gramercy Tech is, is just the best part. <laughs> so it, 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 it is. It's truly the best part. Uh, wow. I can get into it more, but like it, it, this is lightning round and <laughs> you want to ask me more okay. about it later, that's fine. But that's the best part of, of New York dining. I, uh, uh, L yeah, LA. LA uh, eclecticness. Like it is, I feel that it is the best dining city in America. Now there are places I've not been and I apologize to them ahead of time. It just, you can really get everything there. And it is, it may be difficult to uh, get to places sometimes due to traffic, but it, it, it truly has the most, it has the most to offer. Eclectic, Texas. Texas or Austin specifically? Because uh, Austin, the best thing about dining in Austin, I would say is just the energy. Like there is this, great entrepreneurship that is in Austin and no matter where you go you have people who are the owners and their operators and they're still in their restaurants and all these restaurants and it's just such a dense being in a more and more dense city like there's a great energy when you dine out in Austin 
so energy, energy, and uh, and atmosphere. Yeah, that's fine. I I love that. I love that. Oregon's was coffee. <laughs> the best thing is the coffee about that's the time. Been a long time, Zach. I gotta say, I get. I I'm sure there are a lot of really great things there. I just don't know about them as much as I used to. Other than the fact that still to this day they they do like it's the best coffee truly you're gonna have to go see one of your uh one of your per se alums that's opened a couple of restaurants out there and and then yeah we, we can redo this in six months and you can give me a a more a more give me an update. A, a more updated answer yeah that's fine so you know I, i'm gonna ask a question that i fearfully already know the answer to um and and that's going off menu so we've talked a lot about restaurants we've talked lot about you know bells and what you guys are doing what is something that greg and greg and daisy are doing when they are not working at the restaurant and like i said unfortunately i know that a lot of it is preparing the hvac for the restaurant um, but is there is there something is there something that you're like you henry and, and daisy have found to to kind of cut loose and relax on the, the days that you do have off um yes and no like we try and do a little bit of like gardening around the house as much as we can. Uh, Henry and I like to go for runs. So he still uh, is small enough to be like in like a, a running stroller. So we, we run a lot. Um, there's a park nearby the house. We really try and like do some fairly like low impact things. Sometimes we'll go to Santa Barbara. It just kind of usually, as you kind of mentioned, I, we usually only get about one day off together and um, we try and, we have a beer together, the three of us. Henry loves beer. Uh, we have a beer together. We grab some lunch. And just kind of keep it as low key as possible, and um, um, try and just kind of keep a low energy. I guess um, that's not a very good answer. It, it's hard, it, not that when you are parents and you work kind of as much as we do, you just try and like really appreciate like the quiet moments a little bit and you just want to just be around this person henry being this person who just has all this energy and is so interested and excited about things like you can literally just have him be outside and i can just watch him run around and be a knucklehead for and and honk and honk car horns and be like, oh, like I don't want, I don't want to wear any pants, but I want to put these dress shoes on. You're like, what are you doing, <laughs> Henry? Have you eaten the wrong mushrooms? He's <laughs> not tripped yet. Well, that'll be another day for Dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, and, and you know, to just to, to make a quick comment. I mean, one, there is no right answer. Um, I think again, a, a absolutely a running theme here is that. We 1,000% almost collectively have heard, we just try to relax. Um, we just try to relax. Like we, yeah. we, don't, we haven't found any people that are like, I'm really into kite surfing. You know, like no, <laughs> nobody's had a phenomenal answer uh, in, in terms of like they do something extravagant. I, I, and I think the reason why is that this industry, especially when, and hopefully I'm, I'm covering the Venn diagram of this is really high for, for me that I'm covering a lot of people that really give a shit about what they're doing and the food they're creating, sourcing, the experience that they're presenting to people is that, you know, you're, you're constantly in the give energy mode, right? Like literally through food and also through just your personality and the, and the atmosphere you've created. So you, most of the people are just like, dude, I just want to chill. Like, I'm just trying to chill and not be stressed and, and maybe recoup a little bit of that energy so that I can go back into the job, which obviously I think the people that are doing this, you know, they, they really get energy from people. They are, they feel invigorated by that energy exchange, seeing a smile, seeing a, seeing a guest like light up over tasting something that they, they wouldn't have expected or a plating that's interesting or, you know, hell, like just a great, like engaging conversation with Greg, like the super charismatic guy that, that greets me with a smile. I mean, I, I think that's, so it's not surprising to me that there is no, uh, you know, I'm, you know, like an expert skydiver or something. But again, it, it, when we check back in about your Seattle dining, see if you, you picked up a, a really rad hobby. We will do. Absolutely. Maybe some origami work or uh, maybe I'll get into the kite surfing. You never know. Yeah, listen, you're close enough. I mean, you can get to the ocean if you, if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. 
Um, so, you know, we, I, I think a lot of times in, in the restaurant business, you know, we focus on, or people tend to focus on like what's going, what's going right. Um, you know, what, what dish is slamming hot, what things are just amazing, what deco are people constantly complimenting, what, what pan is Daisy using that's kicking ass. And, and something we don't focus on is what, what went wrong and what did we have to, taking the, the restaurant lingo, 86 from the way that we were doing this thing at Bell. So typically, you know, 86 is the, this, this dish or this plate is, uh, is out of service. We don't have it anymore. What's, what's something that you were like, you know, we're running bells, we've got this thing going on, but we've got to change this component to, to keep our energy levels up. If, if there's anything that comes to the top of your mind, and that could be from a process standpoint, or that could be a dish that was like, man, nobody buys this. Like we're out. Well, uh, Part of the kind of in terms of like the dish of something like that's kind of the beauty of us changing the menu every day is that we get a chance to try some things and if they aren't really hitting or honestly sometimes it just gets to the point where Daisy is like I'm tired of making this dish so let's just move on from it a little bit um, that would like so food wise we get a, a really good opportunity to kind of make sure that you stay fresh and relevant and also not necessarily uh, put yourself in a position to uh, continue to do something that you're failing at. Um, I'm trying to think if there's something that we've not, but I, like, unfortunately, like, we've been really yes. good about, like this is the thing, you know, you mentioned before, if I may, like you said, you know, everyone kind of talks about like, what like what's positive in a restaurant like i would i would i, I would sort of disagree i think for days and i all you think about at times is what is not working what is going wrong now and that may not be a very good answer in terms of like what what what, what are we 86 i'm sure there are like 60 things that we've 86 but at a certain point you tend to focus on that isn't maybe successful with that and it could be you know certain desserts it could be a dessert that we're really excited about um say like a, a layer cake but it doesn't make sense for us cost wise uh or it doesn't make sense that we have to make a dish or we have to make a certain pastry that has to sell out that same day or it doesn't taste the same the next day and so you then have to scrap that whole idea um I would say that there's been a lot of ideas about food that is great in, in the mind. And then once you try and actually produce it on a daily basis, and you then think about the fact that you, there are two people on the cooking line. And if a dish needs both the saute cook, as well as the expediter to execute that, that dish, it doesn't work. Like, or if, there is a dish that maybe so steve who works nighttime with us steve is picking up four different items and then there's another dish that we're trying to think about we can't have any of that cooking um be applicable to his side because it doesn't he just can't pick up all of those dishes so there's been a lot of things that like you try and come up with from a concept standpoint and then once you start to try and put it into like reality you, you you nix a lot of them because it just doesn't make sense in general. It doesn't make sense that there's like nine items on a plate and you can't get it out fast enough because there's only two people on the line. I would say that would be the, the most that we've typically taken away from the restaurant are ideas that we're excited about. But you just don't either have the, the, the labor or the personnel or it just doesn't make sense logistically on a, on a, on a night, day-to-day basis. Right. Yeah. And I, I, so one, like, I love the feel free to disagree. Right. I, I also an education for me, 100% to like get your perspective. And of course, like having people agree with me all the time, it's kind of just boring. So like it, it works to, to spice things up a little bit. And I, I, I guess the, the angle of the question is actually just things that diners think the diner typically does perceive, well, everything's working fine here. But I think oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like there's like this idea that like because you walk in on a Saturday at 7 p.m. and it's 
path. So I was like, oh, like you guys are doing great here. Like, exactly. Exactly. It's Saturday at seven. Like, if there isn't, is if it isn't full, then then we're really screwed. So, <laughs> yeah, there's always, you know, I, I think part of like that's, you know, you think about there's not many businesses, I don't think, that are both the production. So like you have this kitchen, you have these things that come in in raw materials, and you are essentially having to fabricate those materials and so it's it's like a factory and then on the other side of that is then this gallery um where you then have to present all these things that you've fabricated and cooked and now it's just to be in this like serene clean uh certain type of like energy certain type of experience that a guest is looking for there isn't many there i can't think of many industries where like you essentially have to, you know, where the, where the car gets made isn't the same place that you sell the car. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a very, it's a, it's a unique situation in terms of all the things that have to happen every day for then a guest to either notice or to, it just, it, it's a, it's a silly business. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Sorry. It just like, <laughs> no, I think it's like, yeah, it goes, it's this idea of like, people don't want to know how the sausage is made, per se, uh, pun, pun, pun intended, uh, but I think restaurants are an increasingly and interestingly like, and, and the diner, the listeners will fortunately get to see this from some photos that we managed to get while we were out there, that, you know, increasingly, restaurants are becoming more and more open kitchen open concept like you can see literally how the sausage is being made the plating activity the expoing how it's being like crafted and even the last wipe before it's put on the counter to be served and sent out via your server via your uh, your front of house team and and yeah i i think you sort of hit on a note that one of the things that I just love about the restaurant industry in general, the hospitality industry, is it's it's sort of like there there isn't any hiding behind a, behind a production site, right? The production site is over here, and and the, the the pampering and the powdering happen in this room, and then at the end you have uh, you have the staging and the presentation. I mean, in places, and I think Bell's is really a great example of this. It, you're removing all of the vanity and just saying, look, like these are the raw ingredients. I'm doing a transformation literally or figuratively to these food items. This is the dish that you're paying me money for. And like, here it is. Enjoy. And there are very few restaurants or very few businesses and industries. And I, I think it's, uh, I believe it's a fascinating thing about restaurants. And, and I think it's a thing that differentiates really great restaurants that are great businesses as well is that they just become extremely good at making that level of transparency not affect their bottom line and actually increase their bottom line and have a more i would say open honest relationship with the kind of diner and provider um relationship is being built between those two entities so i think it's fascinating Um, I have my my new take, uh, my new uh, my new segment that I want to bring to you, and and like I said or alluded to earlier, you sort of helped me think about this a little bit. And the the section is called the chef's plate. And when when my girlfriend and I and her two friends were there visiting you guys, and we told you that we were going to Nashville, um, you just literally lit up and you were like oh man like you gotta go check out this place you gotta go check out this place um i love to like throw some throw some street cred out to to some people that when you're traveling let's pick we can pick two cities let's take uh, austin as one one example because i know you have a pretty big experience in austin and then we can take a nashville or an la and just th- tell us a couple of restaurants that you really are a big fan of like what the you know the chef's plate being? What do you go out and where are you dining at when you visit some of those cities that are uh, home for you? Okay, uh, well in in Austin, um, a really a couple of places that come to mind. One is a restaurant called Olame, 
Uh, it is uh, owned by a gentleman named Michael Fotage. He, it's kind of southern, not necessarily fine dining. He and I, we all worked together per se, and then he worked at Son of a Gun and worked uh, in LA for a little bit and then moved back to his home state and does like elevated southern dining cuisine. Um, Olame is named after his grandmother and his mother, and, and now actually his first daughter is named Olame. And it is just the technique that Michael has with along with the, the, the warmness of the experience is just always one of my favorite places. Um, we always like to go to June's, which is a wine bar uh, owned by one of the, by the group that we worked for, McGuire Mormon. Uh, they, June's is like this kind of all day wine bar. Uh, it's an all day menu. It has kind of a little bit of everything for everyone. Uh, once again, one of those restaurants that has a great energy, uh, really fun glasses, wines by the glass. Um, and it's, it's just that you feel good when you're there. Um, and then finally, I would say also in Austin is um, Fonda San Miguel. Uh, that's been around since like 1975. And it is kind of a take on Oaxacan cuisine, but more in terms of kind of an Austin Oaxacan restaurant. It just, there's something about it. There's a lot of, it's classic. It is always delicious. And there's a really nice kind of just vibe in, in general. Um, LA-wise, first and foremost will always be Musso and Frank. Uh, Musso and Frank is in Hollywood. It's one of the oldest restaurants in Hollywood. And it's been in Daisy's kind of family's kind of repertoire for about three generations now. And it just, it's, there's something about it. There is, there's this really, once again, this really nice kind of classic ode to, you have, you have people who've been going there for 40 years. They're like in their seventies and eighties. You have people who are in their thirties who um, kind of use it as their haunt now. And you have a little bit of like, it's in Hollywood. So there is like, tourists that kind of come and go but it is this really nice really amazing like lived in restaurant and anyone that's ever spent a lot of time in los angeles has either gone there for uh, a birthday party has gone there with friends and it's this really nice kind of touchstone in general that you are able to kind of connect with other people from los angeles that way so that would be kind of a few a few spots that this Musso and Frank has got like the, the New York style bar founded in 1919. Holy yeah. throwback! I mean, that is amazing. So, I mean, I, I just got a place to add to my list 100%. And I think that hopefully the, the listeners that are either in LA, but I think one of the really cool things about you know what we're doing here is guess what? There are a ton of people that travel, right? <laughs> that will will hear this recommendation. They're like, oh crap, I just added Rousseau and Frank to my list. And of course, uh, I, I'm going to insist that they take the, the hour and a half to two hour car ride north and come and see you guys too, because there's uh, there's a lot to be seen there. Um, so, you know, Greg, the, the last question that I have for you today is, and, and as I said, I promise, Cindy Sonics will not come on at any point ever as a background music of my of my show, um, and that's closing time. So I I'd love to hear you know if if there is one, uh, what what is your favorite way to end a shift or to end a service, and and maybe that's a legacy you started at Bell's that you're like this is how we close it down, maybe like staff beer or a tradition you picked up from any of the institutions you've been a part of throughout your culinary journey that, that you're like, hey, this is really the cherry on top of my day. When we've done X, I feel great and like it was a successful service. Um, it sounds, it's, there is something kind of odd. We've been in this restaurant business now long enough to where there isn't that same kind of nostalgia or the same kind of like, um, glow about it, but there is something to be said about a restaurant that has nobody in it, and that there's like that feeling. I remember the first time working in a restaurant, and you being the person that was either the first person in the restaurant or the last person, and there's this stillness to it that is a unique experience because not a lot of people 
get a chance to be a part of that. Most guests have no idea what it's like by walking into a, an empty restaurant. Um, so there is this kind of calmness that um, I think you really enjoy that since, you know, it's the same idea as like getting off the pitch or getting off that playing field. And like, it's all, like, there's nobody there. The stadium's cleared out and you're the last person leaving a little bit. Um, you just kind of take a moment uh, and know that you're going to go, <laughs> you're going to do it exactly. Yeah, six hours later. Yeah, it, 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 it's a, 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 like a very small moment because you have exerted so much energy in some ways. And that's also part of it too. Like, I think what I've always really enjoyed about restaurants in the same way Daisy has is like, you, you know, you've put in a, a, a day's work, like you can feel it. It isn't at times maybe, you know, you have literally mentally and physically exerted yourself and you have finished your day and the light shut off and you're able to kind of go home. Um, I think as you get older, you tend to worry less about staff beers at the end of the night because you know that you're unable to keep the weight off as easy as you used to. So you, you just try and like, just take a moment and know that you're going to do it again tomorrow, but that it was a, you feel good about it having to be a successful day. And it, it's, it's so fascinating. And, and I really try not to ask yes, no questions. Hopefully I haven't asked any of those so far, but I am going to ask a yes, no question, which is, is, is that stillness different? The same environment, right? A clean restaurant you leave at night after the battle has been waged and it looks the exact same and is exactly as still as when you walk into the door the next morning. Is, is there a difference between the stillness of when you walk in and you see the pitch before it's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Isn't that, isn't that so amazing? I mean, it, it really, right? The setting is the same. Now, of course, it's it's brighter outside, and definitely brighter for you in uh, being in Los Alamos, but versus being in the nighttime. But I just I think that's so poetic, right? That the the battlefield doesn't look the same before the battle is waged as it does after, even though you know potentially the the visuals look the exact same. It just has a feeling there at the end of five hours of just busting your ass that, that isn't there when it looks the exact same before the five hours of ass busting and, and delicious dish dish. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, you know, there's, there's that part of anticipation when you walk in in the morning uh, that you don't have at the end of the night, which is uh, that feeling of, of being able of saying that you've completed something, which is, which is cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Ray, I, I, I'm out of questions. We're out of time. Uh, we, we ran literally clocked at an hour. Perfect. Um, even with the new segment. So thank you for kind of bearing with me there. I, I think it's, uh, I, I really hope that's something that we can kind of get off the ground. I think people are, people are looking for that, you know, and, and we have a really unique opportunity, I think, within the show to get perspective and to sort of share the love, you know, and of course, we're, we're going to shoot that Bells is the recommendation of some other folks. Um, but just to get your take on it, I, I, I wanted to thank you for kind of inspiring me with the idea because I thought, wow, that's, this is a unique chance that I have to ask him, um, you know, what places do you love and why? And the color that you put around why you love them. I mean, I think that's so much more valuable than a Google Maps review, personally. Um, yeah. That helps separate signal from noise. So I, I appreciate you uh, kind of divulging a little bit there. And it, I, I hope it's really useful to anybody that is either in Austin or LA or taking a trip. And it certainly will be useful for me because now I have like the Greg Ryan list, you know, for Nashville and for Austin, which is exciting.